From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, we're one week into the 2019 Idaho legislative session. We don't know what the going home bill is going to be quite yet, but a lot of talking points from the first week, as we could have expected. I mean, we heard uh, Governor Brad Little's first State of the State address, got a sense of where he wants to go. Uh, we got some reactions from key legislators and, and some action on, on the legislative front already that suggests uh, how this session might unfold. So a lot to get to uh, from this first week. Yeah, really, um, day one on Monday really set the tone. Brad Little uh, sworn in that day, delivered his first State of the State address, and um not super surprising. We had talked last week, if you caught the pod last week, about how we thought he might take a little bit of a slow or a cautious approach, uh, not really rock the boat given some of the financial uncertainty on the revenue side of things. And that pretty much was borne out uh, on Monday. He did set the tone saying that education was going to be his top priority. Uh, within his 2019-2020 budget request, he called for increasing education spending by 5.9%, $106 million. And the bulk of that new money, Kevin, uh, as we found out, but not a surprise, would go towards teacher pay and teacher raises. Within right. that budget, almost $60 million overall that would go to uh, teacher pay. Specifically how that breaks down, uh, new Governor Brad Little wants to spend $48 million to pay for implementing the final year of raises under the career ladder salary law. That's the five-year plan the legislature first approved, I want to say, back in 2015. Mm -hmm. On top of that $48 million, Little wants to spend another $11.2 million to increase the minimum teacher salary to forty thousand dollars, right, um, and, and increase some of the other uh, rungs on the career. Just ladder behind it, yeah, years those, two and three, exactly. uh, so that uh, first year teacher would not uh, see a salary decrease uh, after they got that initial forty thousand dollars. So, and this kind of makes good on a promise that uh, Little made during the gubernatorial campaign that he wanted to shoot for a minimum salary of forty thousand. So, so no, no big surprise here that this would be one of the spending initiatives that Little did request on Monday. That's one of the big one. A couple um, a couple others. I, I sat there almost right next to the governor during his 35-minute speech on the House floor. He wants to double uh, the funding available for the state's literacy initiative. That's the program that helps struggling young readers in grades kindergarten through third grade. Uh, Brad Little wants to spend another $13 million to double that investment in the literary program. Uh, he kind of couched that as his early childhood uh, position, his policy position. And then uh, one other big item I noticed, he wants to expand the popular Idaho Opportunity Scholarship, which we talked about quite a bit last legislative session. He wants to spend another $7 million because the state has tracked the fact that there were 1,780 applicants last year who met the criteria for the scholarship, but because of funding levels, were not able to receive a scholarship, were not able to receive award. So they say the market has spoken, um, that there is interest and that program is effective. And to respond to that, they want to increase the opportunity, uh, maybe put a dent in that, not a waiting list, but almost you could think of it, the, the folks that were qualified but did not receive it. Uh, by injecting another $7 million. Um, 
And you can see that he, that Little is generally trying to uh, expand upon some programs that have already had some support in the legislature. Yeah. You know, I think he kind of couched year five of the career ladder as a lot of legislative leaders have kind of couched it. This is a commitment that was made in 2015. Uh, this is, you know... A promise it, to be kept. There's a promise to be kept. It's built within the statute right now. Uh, so my sense is that that's a, a pretty popular and you know, likely to pass uh, initiative. So I think trying to build on other areas of the teacher's salary uh, equation, whether it's the, the minimum teacher pay increase that uh, Little proposed or the rollout of the master teacher premium. I mean, these are ideas that we've heard about before. Yeah. Literacy has been on the books now for a couple of years. The reading scores are still uh, kind of spotty. So I think the idea of trying to expand the literacy program, building on a program that lawmakers have already bought into, and the idea of getting third graders reading at grade level, which is a concept that lawmakers have bought into, that kind of expansion kind of makes sense. It's, it's a fairly uh, logical political strategy to, to build on that. Same thing with the Opportunity Scholarship. The legislature has been putting more money into the scholarship program. They expanded Still it last year. Still not enough to yeah. meet the demand, uh, the student demand. So the idea of trying to bump that number up more and put more money into scholarships and trying to, you know, take another uh, shot at uh, cutting into that uh, unmet demand, that would feel like a fairly popular notion with a lot of legislators. So it's not that Little is carving out a lot of new ground here with the initiatives that he's pushing for. It's a, to a large degree, it's a continuation of what we've seen the past couple of years. Things that already have buy-in, as you mentioned, things that already have data behind it or, or, or some proven element to it. Also called for a new task force uh, to develop a uh, new five-year plan for K-12 public education. Not super surprising there. I believe the last task force issued its report in 2013. That was viewed largely as a five-year plan. Obviously, we came to the end of the five years uh, last year, so not super surprising there. But a couple of things that the governor did not address in his uh, budget request or his speech, uh, right off the top of my head, I'm thinking on the higher education front, uh, did not touch the outcomes-based funding model. I instead, sort of couched the expansion of the Opportunity Scholarship as his higher education plan. Exactly. That's where he wants to go this first year. And the word from the Little administration is this: the shift to outcomes-based funding is really complicated. It's really a delicate issue that he wants to study for a year before he weighs in. The history here is that this is something that came out of the Higher Education Task Force mm -hmm. that uh, former Governor Otter put together in 2017. Outcomes-based funding, it's been done in other states, but it is a big change, and it is a change in values, a change in uh, priorities in terms of how you fund higher education. It places a premium on, are you graduating students yep. on time? Are you graduating students in a certain list of fields that are in higher demand? Or are you doing a better job of getting um, at-risk students to graduate from college? And do you then reward institutions for making progress, for making headway in those areas? The so, other side of the coin is people sort of criticize this, are we incentivizing a diploma mill type of a situation mm -hmm. here? So not universal buy-in. It would be um, a big lift, but that's not in the governor's uh, plan for this year. And, you know, I think it's also within uh, Governor Little's character to want to take a step back and study this. This is a very wonky proposal, and by, I think by 
Governor Little's own admission. He's a guy who likes to dig into policy yeah. matters. He, he is kind of a policy wonk, much more so than, than Butch Otter was. I mean, these are the kind of, you know, intricate, you know, granular issues that uh, Governor Little likes to uh, likes to dive into. So I'm not terribly repu- surprising that he wants his to take reputation a step back. when he was lieutenant governor, which has the potential to be a boring job, and he was lieutenant governor for a long time. His reputation was such that he knew. Every single bill that came before the legislature so that if there happened to be a tie in the Senate, he would be prepared to break mm-hmm. it. I mean, this is a guy that knows state policy and, and sort of celebrates that and embrace that, embraces that. I think in other areas, we saw Little decide he wants to take a step back and, and spend more time. And the big one that jumped out, uh, conspicuous by its absence yeah. in the budget, is... Uh, Superintendent Sherry Barra's uh, Keep Idaho Students Safe Initiative, the KISS Initiative, uh, you can kind of kiss it goodbye because it is not in uh, Governor Little's budget request. I, I get the sense he wants to take a year and look at this and talk more to the stakeholders. That was a really awkward and bumpy rollout from the superintendent and her office. If you remember, go back to the end of the 2018 legislative session, she announced sort of the concept and the name and said, I'm going to be bringing this forward. But she never attempted even, as far as I know, to hold a hearing during the 2018 session, did not have a funding request in uh, for the current budget year, but is planning to come back for a supplemental request. But this would be a big ticket item, a a $19 million grant program uh, to give school safety grants to each uh, school or charter Never had a legislative hearing. Does not have buy-in from the governor's office. And does uh, not appear in the. Does not appear to have buy-in from the legislature. Uh, real rocky rollout over the summer, where the Idaho Office of School Safety and Security uh, complained significantly that they were not consulted uh, during the lead-in to this plan, the development of the plan, that the the folks with the boots on the ground, so to speak, were not consulted. So instead, Brad Little said, uh, "You know what." I want to uh, approve federal spending authority for this uh, school safety tip line for this Department of Justice grant which that is the Office of School Safety has already secured. Which is just a sliver of the overall yeah. proposed cost for the KISS initiative. And because talking. of the rollout that Superintendent Ibarra had, asking for the KISS funding as a supplemental for the current budget year does not appear that's going to happen. But she asked for it as a one-time, and so it's not in the 2020 budget request either, so it's really... Uh, dead for this year and for next year. I mean, she could bring it back next legislative session for the following year, two more years down the road, but uh, and we're getting further and further away from the initial rollout here. And, and if you read between the lines uh, the way this was couched in the, the budget briefing before the state of the state, uh, Alex Adams, uh, Governor Little's budget chief, said, you know, one of the things that Little wants on the school safety issue is to you know, have more conversation with stakeholders and make sure stakeholders are on the same page. That was not which, an accident that they used that which language. Which is not so veiled uh, criticism of the rollout of the KISS initiative, and it echoes what we heard, what you reported on last summer from education leaders who felt like they were left uh, left on the outside looking in as uh, Sherry Ibarra rolled out this uh, safety plan. So my guess is you're not going to see much movement on a school safety initiative in this legislature uh, this year. But we do, I mean, three years ago or so, the, the legislature did create that Office of School Safety and Security. They have been out doing uh, building inspections and, and threat assessments and, and, 
uh, visiting is, every single public school. And so and it's sure not that, that the state government, continue. it's not that the state government has ignored the issue of school safety. It's just that the superintendent's uh, $20 million grant program uh, does not appear to have the support to move forward just at this time. Uh, but there is the existing Office of School Safety and Security. They have existing funding levels. They're visiting every Idaho school building. They've visited, I want to say, about two-thirds of all school campuses to this point, and, and that work continues. And so it's not that the state uh, is doing nothing on school security. I don't want to put no, forward no, that no, impression no, at all. No. I think, though, if you look at sort of a recurring theme from this week and from the state of the state, and it sort of ties into some of what uh, you're hearing and we're hearing from legislators as this session unfolds, there doesn't seem to be a lot of appetite, certainly from the governor, uh, for a big disruption in the, uh, the state's revenues, whether that is a tax cut or a big, uh, a big new initiative. Right. You know. And I think that that kind of clouds the discussion of the school safety initiative to some degree. And there's a policy aspect that we talked about, but there's also a budgetary aspect. That, uh, you know, I don't sense the governor little really wanted to commit twenty million dollars of money from this year's budget when this year's tax not with the revenues are, are so slowly. No. December was bad again on the revenue side. Uh, there's legitimate budget uncertainty. I covered a meeting this week. There were a couple of meetings last week, but. Legislators are cautious and conservative, and they don't want to overextend themselves. Everybody still remembers the Great Recession. And, and just to be clear, nobody is saying the next Great Recession is on the horizon. That's not it. I'm not trying to ring the alarm bells. But people remember that. And with revenues coming in, millions and millions and millions of dollars behind projections, so far seven months, six, seven months into the current fiscal year, that breeds caution right. in budget-setting circles, understandably. What Little said during the State of the State was, we're not going to spend money unless we've got it in the bank. So there's a reason why uh, Governor Little isn't talking about putting a bunch of money into backfilling off of the uh, school funding formula. If you do a school funding formula rewrite and you put it into effect this year, do you put in tens of millions of dollars right away into the budget to take care of districts that are going to lose money in the short term? That didn't appear in his budget proposal. You don't see uh, Governor Little talking about um, repealing the sales tax on groceries, which would be until an, next until year. Until next year, that would be an eighty million dollar hit in the budget. He does not feel like it's the time to try to do that. He wants to lay the groundwork for repeal in twenty twenty, but not push the idea. You had a good the, analysis piece on Monday that kind of talked about. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back to the homepage IdahoEdNews.org. Scroll back to Monday and pick up your analysis piece because you talked about sort of that cautious tone, that not wanting to rock the boat, not yeah. commit yourself to a big long-term either spending plan or tax cut. Um, Funding formula, school safety, grocery tax, even the Medicaid expansion, a uh, little laying out a plan to roll out the Medicaid expansion that voters approved in January of 2020 and do it in such a way that it has no immediate impact on the state general fund because the state does have to pick up a share of the cost of Medicaid expansion. But what he wants to do is uh, find some savings in other state agencies because of the Medicaid expansion. And he wants to tap into the state's Millennium Fund, which is the uh, endowment from the cigarette, uh, the National Tobacco Settlement of a few years ago. Yeah. So 
over and over, I think what you heard from Governor Little is the idea of let's not do anything really big that's going to create a big disruption in the state's revenue stream. Because as you mentioned, and we saw it Thursday with the uh, Economic Outlook Committee of the legislature, not a lot of optimism about where that cash flow is going right now, how those tax uh, collections are coming in this year, what may happen in April when we all have to uh, uh, settle up with the IRS and the State Tax Commission and do our income taxes. So with all of that uncertainty, uh, not a lot of desire to, uh, to overcommit in terms of the budget. But having said all of that, and you had a really good story this week to kind of lay the, lay the, uh, the groundwork and set the stage, you still have legislators who want to move forward on the idea of rewriting the school funding formula. Little didn't mention it in the, in the State of the State address. Uh, he didn't put money into a rollout. But lawmakers are still pretty serious about trying to get something done this year. I wouldn't say that's dead yet, um, and a couple reasons why. Uh, I put together a story on Thursday talking with uh, Representative Wendy Horman, who is the co-chair of the uh, Public School Funding Formula Interim Committee, as well as Senate Education Committee Chairman Dean Mortimer. They're going to have next week a rare joint session of the House and Senate Education Committees on Thursday, uh, January 17th to get an overview of this funding formula proposal. They're actually going to invite every legislator. They're going to have it in the Lincoln Auditorium, which is the largest hearing room. And I talked to Senator Mortimer about one possible way that uh, Republicans in the legislature may move the ball forward on this. What Senator Mortimer talked about doing as an option would be introducing a bill this year, perhaps passing the new funding formula into law this year, but having a delayed implementation so that it would not take effect, uh, so the new funding formula would not start driving dollars until, let's say, 2021. And so there would be no immediate bu budget implication in the current budget, and so that doesn't get them crosswise with Brad Little's new proposal. Uh, Senator Mortimer said if they did that this year and passed it, that would give everybody a year to get geared up towards the changes. It would also let uh, school superintendents and business managers kind of take a peek under the hood for a year, mm -hmm. tinker around, uh, mess with the calculations, and maybe they could come back next year and improve it or correct any problems and then go live the following year. That's one option. I still want to point out that there's concern uh, that has not gone away from school superintendents about the idea of creating winners and losers. And so it's a big change, right? Public school spending is the biggest expense every year to the state of Idaho, and we're talking about dividing up the dollars differently, mm -hmm. uh, taking essentially the same amount of dollars and dividing it up differently. Under the proposal that was approved by that interim committee, 36 Idaho school districts or charters would expect to see their funding decrease from current levels if that new formula as proposed was just straight across the board implemented. On the other hand, the remaining school districts could expect to see their funding stay level or increase. And so that's where the idea behind the winners and losers comes into play. Um, superintendents from several school districts are pretty outspoken about that. Yeah. Even districts that would expect to see a funding increase. Uh, they also have some work to do to kind of define the funding weights that would be applied, the protections for small school districts, how we would define at risk or, po or poverty. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the details still have yet to be filled in, but it does look like Republicans are talking about a possible path forward 
They're going to have a hearing next week, not to introduce a bill, just to present the formula and have sort of an overview. I know for a fact that a bill is being drafted right now. Uh, and then, you know, perhaps vote on that and perhaps stagger it so that it would be a year out. Uh, but when I talked to Senator Mortimer, I asked him, I said, what do you think? Is this likely to be one of the top education issues this year? And he cut me off and said, no, Clark, there's no likely about it. This yeah. is the top issue. Right. And, and so and that's got, where we stand. And you've got school administrators, even if this is a one-year uh, kind of a slow rollout and you, you pass something in 2019 and implement it in 2020, school administrators are still going to watch this very, very closely yeah. because what's implemented in 2019, what's passed in 2019 and implemented later is still going to have a profound impact on the school. So this We've is talked still, about the hold harmless and the tens of millions of dollars um, to to protect districts, but that would and, only be temporary if they go that route. But just kind of a sense of sort of the legislative momentum behind this. Uh, after the State of the State on mm -hmm. Monday, uh, House Republican leadership uh, had their press conference to talk about the speech and, and give their reactions. And, and basically, it was House Speaker Scott Bedke's show. He, he did almost all of the talking. And even before he started to field questions from the reporters, he said that uh, he thought that Little was strangely silent on the school funding issue. And he said, you know, this really ties into a lot of what the governor wants to do in terms of school funding, whether you're talking about literacy or or, or what all. And then he kind of, he, he sort of tried to, you know, sweeten the tone a little bit by kind of making a joke and saying, well, I'm sure it was just an oversight on the governor's part. But well, if you remember, it was fairly, it was also, you know, yeah, there, there was an edge to it that uh, the speaker was saying, look, this is something that, uh, this committee has worked on for three years. Bedke himself was a member of that committee for three years. Uh, there are some powerful lawmakers on, in both the House and the Senate who really want to get something done on the school funding formula this year, who have really invested a lot of time and energy and political capital in doing something. So, and I, at the end of that, that, the point definitely got across. Yeah. And at the end of that press conference, I asked the speaker, "Do you think the House will pass a rewritten school funding formula this year?" And he said, "Quote: We expect it." Yes. And Scott Bedke is not a guy that really – in the past, he, he doesn't really commit himself to what he thinks is going to happen or what the legislature is or isn't going to do. So he's going to put himself he's, out there, he's committing and he that, may know something that I don't. But he's um, committing that this is a big enough issue that he is going to push to get a bill through the House. And I think we're going to see some and, leadership muscle behind and, this. And what he's basically saying, because this is the way Bedke approaches these kind of issues, is – I'm going to – he's basically saying that he thinks he can get 36 Republicans to sign on to a rewrite of the school funding formula because when it comes to a controversial bill, uh, Bedke likes to get a majority of the votes within his own yeah. caucus, within the Republican caucus, this, this Bedke principle that we've uh, heard talked about on other issues in past years. So he is – he is committing to the idea that he can find 36 votes within that Republican caucus to get something through the, through the House. So – it's game on on that issue, and uh, we'll get a better sense of kind of how legislators are viewing this issue on Thursday. Even though it's an informational session, I think it'll be very illustrative. It'll be a chance to see kind of where legislators are are, are feeling, uh, where, where they stand at this point. First big hearing of the year, obviously outside of the State of the State address. Uh, first big hearing of the year next Thursday, January 17th. We'll be there for full coverage. We will be back to talk about it. 
on next week's podcast. And then things really are off and running at that point. Uh, we know what the following week will be education week. Uh, the school budget request, both higher ed and K-12 public schools, will be at the end of January. And the big education budget presentations um, are that the, uh, that week after next. So yeah, yes. yep, yep. Uh, so we're off and running uh, at this point. Um yeah, what, anything else that we haven't got to um, this week? Uh, I, I think that just about covered where I wanted to go. You did, uh, just sort of outside of the legislators, yes. legislature's orbit just a little bit, uh, took a look at a new transparency website uh, that the state controller's office, I believe, first launched, and now Superintendent of Public Instruction Sherry Ybarra's State Department of Education uh, has gotten in and uh, created this transparent Idaho website for her office, basically publishing their checkbook register and giving more insight into uh, expenses. Uh, but the, when she announced it, the superintendent said transparency is a good thing, and she encouraged the public to take a look around. You took her up uh, on her invitation. What'd you find, Kevin? Well, what I focused in on this time, and there is a lot of data on this uh, transparency site. There's a lot of data in the State Department of Education checkbook. But what I found myself really fascinated by and what I wrote about on Thursday was sort of the, some of the connections that you could draw between uh, people and a, a company that supported uh, Sharia Barr's re-election campaign and who have also uh, landed work within Sherry Ibarra's State Department of Education. Right. And, and that focuses down to two employees who were hired by Ibarra after the November 6th election. Scott Phillips, who will take on a, a pretty high-profile role. We don't know exactly what that role is going to look like. He doesn't even have a job description yet. But he was hired in late November as uh, to kind of head up the communications end of uh, Ibarra's uh, State Department of Education. And he's going to get about $90,000 a year to do this job. Almost as much as Ibarra. It's, it's a, I, I did the math. I mean, there are 140 people in the State Department of Education, and there are only, I want to say, about 10 employees that will uh, make more than Scott Phillips. So this is a high-profile job mm -hmm. and a high-paid high job. Phillips was a contributor to Ibarra's re-election campaign. He gave some money in October on two separate occasions. He was also doing contract work for Ibarra. This was uh, state-funded uh, contract work during that month of October and during that month of November to uh, promote the, uh, the KISS initiative, mm -hmm. the school safety initiative. So you had Phillips go from a contractor to a highly paid state employee right on the heels of uh, Sherry Ibarra uh, parting ways with Allison Westfall, who had been uh, Ibarra's communications chief. Yep. So this is a pretty big, pretty big hire. Another hire that I focused in on is uh, Tyler Kelly, who was the manager of Sherry Ibarra's campaign in the summer and fall of 2018. He joined the State Department of Education in mid-November, just a couple of weeks after the election, as an administrative assistant. I was also really interested in a company out of uh, Nampa, a media company called Pepper Shock. And Pepper Shock's saga goes like this. This is how their year was with uh, the State Department of Education. So in May, the Ibarra campaign asked Pepper Shock to buy up some ad time for Ibarra to run campaign advertisements leading up to the May Republican primary. Pepper Shock did not produce ads at that time, but they just made the ad buys. They just coordinated to get uh, some airtime. That work was finished, and then in the summer, 
Peppershock got work from the State Department of Education, and this is taxpayer funded, uh, to do a public service announcement promoting, again, the KISS initiative. Also, uh, a video of the state's teacher of the year. They went to American Falls to produce a video about the teacher yep. of the year. So they got about $7,000 in taxpayer money in the summer and fall for that project. And then when that's done, come October, the Avar campaign goes back to Pepper Shock and folds most of its campaign spending down the stretch. Most of that campaign money went to Pepper Shock to produce advertising and to uh, secure airtime for that advertising. So Pepper Shock did the ad campaign uh, for Sherry Avara down the stretch and was funded through the campaign for that. So you go from campaign work to taxpayer funded work with the SDE to campaign work. Um, a little bit. I mean, this we're not trying to say this is illegal, but it gets into the it, approaching the territory of sort of blurring the lines and running right up to a potential conflict of interest, perhaps. Um, but it's kind and of the lines. And, and nobody, and I do not suggest in the story that this is illegal, nor is it that uncommon. I mean, it, we have seen other uh, supporters and uh, campaign staff wind up getting jobs uh, in, in government after an election. It does happen, uh, and it's happened before within uh, Sherry Barr's shop going back to 2014. But what, what I find interesting in terms of those blurred lines is that Particularly Kiss, with... Kiss was a big talking point yeah. for Sherry Barr in her re-election campaign. She was really uh, pushing the narrative of uh, trying to get something done to make schools safer and to address the school safety issue. And as we talked about at the, the outset earlier in this podcast, that initiative really isn't going anywhere this uh, legislative session, but it was a big talking point for her re-election. And, you know, yes, within the bounds of what uh, the State Department of Education should be paying for, yes, the State Department of Education can hire a consultant to promote yeah, yeah. A, a, a project like KISS. Yes, they can hire a video production firm to produce a PSA. They don't have a video crew within the staff of the State Department of Education. There isn't enough video work right. in the State Department of Education to justify that kind of a position. So. Contracting out and doing that with taxpayer funding in and of itself is is appropriate. There's no question about that. There's no disputing that. But policy and politics, are, there's always going to be some intersection at some level. And that's unavoidable. And that's, you know, that just, it is what it is. And so I find it very interesting to just sort of look at sort of the money trail and to kind of dive into this one aspect of, what's in that checkbook and what's in that transparency report it's uh, there's a lot there it's it's really you know in in terms of championing the idea of open government this is really this is really a very interesting site and it's a very w worthwhile site and you know for those who want to you have a link to it in your story we have a link to it in the we'll story continue to use it i i yeah i think it's gonna be a gold mine for a lot of stories down the road and and not you know you know it's just there's just a lot there i, I think it, it you know if you're wondering where, where your money goes and why it goes, uh, where it goes, this gives you a lot of insight and a lot of leads to look at as, as a taxpayer, as somebody who cares about education. 
and as a reporter, I can see a lot of potential uh, stories <laughs> in those in those numbers and in those line items. This was just the one that jumped out at me this week. So in that regard, kudos to Superintendent Ibarra and the State Department of Education for uh, signing on to this Transparent Idaho website to opening the checkbook up. When we talk We're about transparency, support transparency. Yeah, when we talk We're about transparency, literally in this sense, what it means uh, is giving the public uh, more of an idea about where their money is being spent and what the State Department of Education uh, is up to on a day-to-day basis and how they're spending taxpayer funds. And so uh, in that regard, hats off and and, and thank you. And and doing this story promotes the discussion of whether this is the right way money should be spent. And we've gotten comments on both sides of that uh, on our Facebook page. You know, we've had a pretty robust discussion of this. I mean, one person said this is cronyism. And then on the other side of the coin, you had people saying that there's nothing wrong here. This is something that happens a lot. Uh, if you why find good even, people. Why is this even a story? Why are you guys going after Sherry Ibarra on this? Why are you singling out Ibarra? So, you know. Because and, certainly, and then, let's just talk about it. Uh, new Governor Brad Little has hired uh, permanent staff positions that were involved with his campaign, absolutely. including his press secretary. And so it's not unprecedented. And there's certainly an argument yeah. to be made that if you find good people, regardless of whether it's in the campaign or whatever, uh, and they support your values and support your mission, if you find somebody good, uh, bring them on. You know, yeah. that's one side of the argument for sure. Right. So if readers are having that discussion because of this story and because of the transparency site, then that's that's what we're here to do. We're, we're here to inform and then let let the discussion go from there. So, you know, I'm, you know, I'm happy to have people, uh, you know, criticize the story or praise the story, but, uh, you know, it means they've read the story, and that's, uh, that's our bottom line objective. Here. That's a win. That's a positive. All right, I think that gets to everything that we wanted to talk about this week. A busy week, a busy session. We're going to be busy for roughly three months, these things go. Uh, so we'll be there covering each and every big education meeting. Uh, we'll be at the big funding formula meeting next week. We'll be at the big education budget hearings at the end of the month. You can follow. And I, and all I'm of hoping our this. Work. Oh, go ahead. Uh, follow all of our work at the homepage at idahoednews.org and on Twitter at Idaho. Uh, Ed News and, and Kevin. We will have a lot this week. I mean, you mentioned the funding formula. We'll have the daily coverage out of the legislature. I'm hoping to take a deeper look at what did happen this past year in terms of teacher salary to kind of set the stage for the discussions we'll hear during Education Week about raising teacher pay and raising beginner teacher pay. So, a lot, uh, a lot on the. Uh, the agenda a lot on a lot on our plates here all right if you're listening to this live on friday i will be on idaho public television idaho reports show uh tonight uh, talking about the first week of the legislative session and governor little's address uh, that'll be available friday night on idaho public television and also over the weekend on their website but as always thanks so much uh for joining us on the extra credit podcast we do have a lot of fun breaking down this intersection of politics and policy i'm clark i'm kevin have a good week